On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about the Book of Mormon. Lots of uh, folks may be coming to your door wanting to give you a copy of the Book of Mormon and uh, want you to maybe think about being a Mormon. So we're going to talk about Mormonism, compare it with what the Scriptures teach. It's going to be an important discussion we're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday may 12th 2022 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob gwen josh mccord's by my side here at the desk tonight hello david. josh good to be here with you good to be with you Kyle's behind the controls. Kyle, good to be you. It's good to be here. And um, we're looking forward to hearing from you on the other end of the line tonight at 931-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. In the chat window to the bottom of your video feed, you can sign in and comment with other listeners on the program tonight. Well, Josh, we want to talk about uh, um, a religion that is relatively new but a religion that gets a lot of credibility, surprisingly, from folks who follow it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, recently, you, you know, typically you're you're uh, running into these guys that are called Mormon elders, which are young men that uh, travel around and they, they try to talk to people and, and talk about the their religious beliefs. Uh, and I got a call from, from two young men that uh, said they were Mormon elders. And it was kind of out of the blue. I don't know how they got my phone number, but we had a good discussion, actually. I talked to them about an hour and a half about... Uh, different things they believe and and why I believe what I believe and talked about um, the Bible and and so I thought it'd be a good idea to talk about that on the virtual Bible study tonight. Yeah, I got a I got in touch with some folks that same a similar way about the same time you did. We had some discussion together and uh, interesting discussion, but uh, certainly the things that are being taught don't line up with what we read about in right. the Bible, and so we need to talk about that uh, sure. tonight. Yeah. All right. So earlier today, uh, Josh, you formulated the questions for us tonight. Uh, you sent out uh, some questions for us to consider. Yeah. So uh, the first, the the first question, um, what we want to talk about is the Bible versus the Book of Mormon. Can we uh, trust the Bible as being accurate? And we asked to provide some evidences of that. Uh, part two of question one is, what about the Book of Mormon? Provide some examples of contradictions. Question number two says, should we be looking for modern-day revelations? Uh, The claim is that man has corrupted the church that God wanted and that Joseph Smith's work was to restore the church. It says, how can we know that the church today is what God intended for it to be? Question number three says, the two sticks argument. I'd actually not heard the two sticks argument, but when talking uh, to one of those fellows, he he brought this up that I was talking to, uh, of Ezekiel 37. The claim is that the book of Ezekiel prophesied of the Book of Mormon, and so we just want to ask, is that the case? Okay. Uh, and number four is about church organization, and briefly just discuss a couple of the titles that the Mormon church uses, elder and deacon, and then compare those to what we find in the Bible. Okay. All right. So good discussion tonight, and if you haven't signed in or chimed in with your comments via email tonight, you can still do that in email, or you can send them in the chat room tonight. The Bible versus the Book of Mormon, there's a lot of casting of doubt by the Mormons on the Bible and the validity of the book that we believe is from God. Right. It's kind of interesting, though. I asked uh, the fellows that I was talking to, did they believe the Bible was inspired of God? And they said, yes, they did. But they believed the Book of Mormon was also inspired of God. And so I, I thought that's interesting because there's so there's so many differences there. Um, you know, how can how can we make those things mesh? Uh, but the Bible certainly makes a lot of claims for itself. I was thinking in First Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, uh, Paul wrote, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which ye have heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So the Bible makes claims for itself that it is the word of God. Uh, and uh, any any 
document that makes claims for itself, uh, you know, when put to the test, if, if it makes a claim for itself and that's held to be true, then, you know, then we should trust it as such. But if it's uh, found to not be, then we shouldn't trust it. And I think that's where the Book of Mormon, the Bible and the Book of Mormon, uh, you know, that, that's what we've got to do in order to understand which one's right, which one's true. And we have lots of evidences that the Bible is accurate sure. and that it has been preserved accurately and that it is inspired. Lots of internal evidences that show that it must be inspired by God. Right. Written over 1,500 years by approximately 40 different writers. And uh, throughout that 1,500 years, they didn't know each other. Right. Yet when you put their writings together, they're perfectly uh, in line. There are no contradictions. Mm-hmm. They have a common theme that is woven throughout from start to finish. We start with the tree of life. We end with the tree of life. We start with a need for salvation. We end with that salvation coming. Type, anti-type relationships where there are just minor details that are mentioned in the Old Testament thousands of years before that uh, anti-type would be come revealed. Those two guys who were writing that were not connected in any way. How could they have made those right. connections? It had to be inspired by God. Yeah, that, that's the answer. They couldn't have. It's the most amazing book that's ever been written, and it's not by some coincidence. It, it has to be. The conclusion we have to draw is that there is an intelligent being, a God, who inspired man to write down those words. I and mean, that's, that's the only reasonable explanation. Uh, and so the thing about... Uh, the Bible that we know that to be true, and, there, and there's a lot of evidences that suggest that. You compare that with the Book of Mormon, and there's that same, uh, all the things you just described cannot be said about the Book of Mormon. Right, absolutely. The, yeah, it doesn't take much uh, evaluation to find out that they're not even on the same plane. Right. Um, and, there, and then also you talk about the accuracy of the Bible and being able to trust it. The external evidence that we have, Right. of the Bible, that it is has been preserved accurately today. Yeah, Jacob, I was reading an article uh, earlier today about the Hittite people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Old Testament mentions the Hittite people. Uh, Abraham's son Esau married a Hittite woman. There was two of uh, King David's soldiers, Uriah and, and Ahimelech, who were Hittites. But the article I was reading was talking about up until a little over 100 years ago, there was no trace of these people outside of the Bible. And so critics of the Bible were saying, yeah, see, there's some made-up people that the the Bible mentions, and there's no, we haven't found any evidence that these people actually existed. Uh, but around 1900, there was a German archaeologist, and his name was Hugo Winkler. He was digging in Turkey, and he found the Hittite capital city along with clay tablets in the Hittite language. And then they found some further proof in Egypt. Uh, they found some clay tablets that told about a battle between the Egyptians and the Hittites. And I thought that was so neat because the the Bible claims have been proved to be true over and over again. And there's hundreds of examples like that. Uh, the Bible talked about a people. They were real people. They really did exist. Uh, and and even, even sources like that, like you're talking about outside of the Bible, have uh, proved to us that the Bible is true. It's it's. Uh, not a history book, but the history that it includes is is factual uh, and can't be disproved. Right, and those who those doubters, those uh, those uh, folks who want to to discredit the Bible, they find something like, "Well, the Hittites, aha, we got it. Right. This is all fake." Right, and then lo and behold, here we yeah. find reference yeah. to that nation relatively recently. Yeah, yeah amazing, and uh, we have great confidence that the Bible that we have today is like the original. We have so many manuscripts that sh- that are dated back very close to when the original would have been penned. Mm-hmm. Numerous copies of those manuscripts, references to Bible passages made from secular literature, showing us that the quotes that they had at that time are the same as the ones we have today. Lots of ways we can verify that the Bible has been transcribed or transmitted to us in an accurate fashion. Yeah. Yeah, we can have great confidence in that. Okay. Uh, and no book is even close to the amount of scrolls and amount of copies that have been uh, handed down and preserved. And, and of course, we believe and know that it's preserved because God willed it to be so. 931-381-4567. 
is the way that you get in touch with us tonight. We want to hear from you on the phone. In the chat room, Dwight and Michelle say, Jesus said in John 8:31, if you continue in my word, not Joseph Smith or anyone else's, continue in Jesus' word. We're talking about that on the program tonight. And Mormonism, is it uh, valid? Uh, should we be following the Book of Mormon? Now, we compare the Bible with the Book of Mormon, and um, we see stark differences. Sure. Uh, yeah, I just, there's several uh, contradictions within the Book of Mormon. Actually, I didn't really realize this, but uh, over the years, there's been hundreds, maybe even thousands of changes uh, to the Book of Mormon. It's been edited and, and updated, and you know, I, I assume when things are found that uh, don't really fit to today's time period, they just kind of change that to update that. But there's several just just really basic uh, Bible uh, teachings that we know of that Book of Mormon totally uh, contradicts. And so that, that was one of the things that was so odd to me because the, the fellows I talked to, those, those young Mormon elders, yeah, they're, they're sort of complimentary. Um, it was evident, though, that the Book of Mormon in their mind was, you know, the one we need to really follow. But they said the books were con- uh, complimentary, but they contradict each other. And, and just a few examples, Jacob, that, that I noted – uh, the Book of Mormon said that Jesus was born in Jerusalem. Uh, Bible talks about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Uh, the Book of Mormon says that God has flesh and bones. The Bible, of course, said he says he's a spirit. And one of the ones we were talking about just before the just before the program. Uh, the Book of Mormon talks about when Jesus uh, at his crucifixion that there was darkness for uh, three days, and the Bible describes three hours of darkness. So these these aren't you know just generic phrases that maybe we could say, well, you know, they could probably fit in there somewhere. I mean, they are, they are specific three days and three hours. Uh, that's a, that's a big difference. Did you bring that up with your, the, I did, your, I, I did, but there wasn't really, there wasn't really, an, yeah, it wasn't really an answer there. Yeah. I know that there is a, there's a response for the discrepancy between <laughs> Jerusalem and Bethlehem as that Bethlehem is sort of a, a suburb, suburb. Yeah. and so it really was Jerusalem. Well, yeah. that's not true. No. That's not the way that uh, we would use that language no. and that reference to that area. Uh, but obviously an, opportun- an a, a, a effort to try and make the two uh, reconciled, and they can't yeah. be. Yeah. yeah. And one of the issues is, too, that, that Jesus was a, a created being, from my understanding, uh, rather than, than God himself. Of course, the Bible makes it plainly clear that Jesus... Uh, you know, Paul wrote that he didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God, uh, and uh, he was, and he was then God in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But uh, Book of Mormon has a has a different take on that, and so so there's so many contradictions, and we're just you know just for time's sake, we're not going to look at every single contradiction there is. But what what I was trying to press impress upon the guys that I talked to, you know, you know, guys, if we could just find one contradiction, then we got to say they they both can't be right. You know, the Bible can't be right and the Book of Mormon right if there's a contradiction. There's something's amiss here. And so which one's right? Obviously, the evidence for the Bible is overwhelming, and it's not for the Book of Mormon. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, emailed tonight. Kent, thank you for your email. He says, the Bible can be trusted as accurate. Such is proven to be the case by the accuracy of fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy as noted in the New Testament. Biblical inspiration is also proven by the historical evidence found within the biblical text, archaeological evidence as well as scientific evidence. The Bible is logical in its composition without any contradictions and is thus proven to be both formally and materially sufficient. Such is therefore all sufficient. The Book of Mormon is filled with contradictions and serious problems. Number one, about one-eighteenth of the Book of Mormon is copied from the King James Version of the Bible. Such Yet the, the claim is made that the Book of Mormon was written between 1,200 and 2,000 years prior to the King James Version of the Bible. How could they be direct quotes prior to the King James Bible right. being uh, right. translated? Mormons claim that the Book of Mormon is inspired and then also allege that the Doctrine and, co- uh, and Covenant, in addition to the Pearl of Great Price, are also inspired. The interesting thing about this is that all three of these documents contradict themselves in various areas. Number three, it's interesting to note that there have been 3,913 changes in the Book of Mormon since its first edition. Hmm. If the document in its original form had been inspired of God, why should there have been any changes over the course of time? In latter years, following the establishment of the Mormon religion, later generations of their leaders have received updated revelations 
that some of their basic tenets, such as polygamy and attitudes toward those of the black race, have been changed. Yeah. So very serious concerns with the Book of Mormon. Yeah, thousands, thousands of changes. Um, so, you know, I, if if the Bible has had to be changed or updated or we've done that, then we'd say, well, that's, that's worthless now. If men have come along and said we need to change it and update it, then... That, that can't be from God because God is all-knowing and he, he knows what's best for us. And if we have to edit it to update it, you know, we've got a, we've got a major problem there. Right. So the evidence is overwhelming. All right. We're going to get a break. And when we get back, we'll continue to talk about Mormonism. Up next, uh, what about this idea that there should be revelations after the Bible? Is that, even, is that even on the table? Should we be looking for those types of things? We'll get that on the other side. The Book of Mormon, first published in March of 1830. About a, a little over 198 years ago. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing that it has the number of followers that it does today with the obvious issues that it has, not the least of which the fact that it came 18,000 or 1,800 years after Christ. There's a big problem there. Right. We're going to break and we'll get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Mouse, the virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Here's a quick thought. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Ephesians 4, verse 26. Anger can often lead to sin. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, commands not to let the sun go down on your anger. What a difference it would make if we never finished a day with anger on our hearts. Determine not to let the sun go down on your anger. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Ask not for a lighter burden, but for broader shoulders. A gem cannot be polished without friction, nor a man perfected without trials. If you find a path with no obstacles, it probably doesn't lead anywhere. Act as if what you do makes a difference. It does. It's always too early to quit. In prosperity, show temperance. In adversity, show fortitude. Man, wish I'd said that. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3, 17. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight as we look at Mormonism and consider it with respect to the Bible. Brian in California says the Mormons err when citing 1 Corinthians 15 as evidence there is validity in baptizing the dead unto salvation. Uh, that's one of the bizarre yeah, doctrines of the Mormons, and certainly uh, that is not the meaning of 1 Corinthians 15. George in the chat room said Joseph Smith died. Jesus came back from the dead. Big differences there. George also says Joseph Smith was a drunk and a womanizer. He was run out of every town he went to until he finally got out to Utah, and it was so bare, and then nobody wanted it. So they were pushed uh, yeah. out west. Uh, uh, so. Uh, a, a sorted uh, tale there. Thank you for those comments tonight. So what about the Book of Mormon? Should we uh, be looking for a modern-day revelation? Um, well, you know, we, we've already said, I know we, we went through it very quickly, that the Bible is uh, from God. There's evidences to show that it is. So the Bible, a uh, well-known passage, Second Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Now, we know that word perfect there doesn't mean sinless, but complete. So the Bible has all the information that we need. Second uh, Peter 1 and verse 3 uh, says similarly the same thing. All, we've, we've been given what we need uh, for life and godliness, all that we need for life and godliness. Uh, and so, uh, so to me, just looking at those two passages, we don't need anything else. If I'm going to be perfect or complete, if I've got all that I need, uh, thoroughly furnished into all good works. I don't need anything else. Uh, but the Book of Mormon uh, is a, you know, supposed latter-day revelation that that man, the fellows I talked to said that that man has messed everything up, and there needed to be a latter-day revelation. And God chose Joseph Smith to to get this Mormon church together to get things right and get things back on track. And so we needed a something something in addition to the Bible. And actually. Uh, I know we all know the passage well, but in Galatians 1, beginning of verse 8, Paul said, 
Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have, than ye have received, let him be accursed. Uh, so Paul said it, it, literally exactly how the, the claim of the Book of Mormon came to be. Paul said, if an angel from heaven comes and gives you a new revelation, you need let, let him be accursed. Don't listen to that. You've got everything that you need. I actually brought those verses up to the, the fellows I talked to, and, and they just said, we're familiar with those verses, but there was no, but we believe Joseph Smith was, was chosen by God. But they do believe that an angel named Moroni uh, appeared to Joseph Smith. Brought another gospel. Yeah, and brought on, on the Book of Mormon, it'll say another testament of, of Jesus Christ sometimes on, on the copy of them. And so I said, that is exactly what Paul talked about. That's another gospel. And you're telling me that that's what we need. And the Bible says we don't need anything other than shocking, the Bible. shocking and concerning that we could believe that you referenced there the fact that we don't need another revelation for second Peter one, verse three, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Do I need to be looking for another book? I got it, don't I? Yeah, that's what Peter said. Yeah. Do I believe him? Yeah. And uh, some serious consequences for those who would go and add to what has been revealed. Mm -hmm. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. For we testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from from the things which are written in this book. You can't go messing with what God has put in place. It's written in stone, if you will. Yeah. This, this, you can't, you can't alter this. You can't add right. to it. You can't take away. We don't need anything else. It's complete. It's thorough. Uh, we don't need the Book of Mormon, and we can tell from the scriptures that we are not going to get another Book of Mormon. We're not going to get another book from God, not the yeah. Book of Mormon. Um, the scriptures are clear on that. Yeah, well, the whole idea, you know, so the, the Bible, you know, we believe, as we already pointed out, it's complete. It's got all the information that we need. The whole idea, Jacob, that uh, man can come along and just thwart the plans of God and, and mess it all up. And so he's got to do a sort of a redo and a reset and give out more information because, uh, you know, man has messed it up. That really is, is um, you know, you're, you're throwing in the face of God that God couldn't get done what he wanted to get done. Uh, and man is just... Uh, able to mess it up, you know, that really that really attacks the character of God because God can accomplish his purposes. He has throughout history, uh, and he, he's able to get done what he wants to get done. He revealed his word to us. It's been preserved for us, you know, accurately so that we can believe it today, uh, and we have all that we need from him in order to be saved. You know, there's another argument that we can make about this that uh – not only should there not be another gospel that's brought into the world, there shouldn't be, uh, we don't have a need for that. The Bible's clear that prophets would vanish from the land. The Old Testament and New Testament both alike talk about the end of the era of prophecy. Zechariah chapter 13, beginning verse 1 says, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. In that day, or it shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I'll cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and unclean spirit to depart from the land. So Zechariah chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, are talking about the messianic time frame. When Jesus would come into the world, there's going to be a fountain opened and for sin and uncleanness in Jerusalem. That's Jesus. When Jesus comes then God would cut off prophets from the land. Verse 3 of Zechariah 13 says, It shall come to pass that if anyone shall pro- uh, still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, You shall not live because you've spoken lies in the name of the Lord, and his father and mother who begot him shall thrust him through when he prophesies. They weren't going to tolerate prophets. They, right. weren't, they weren't supposed to tolerate prophets anymore because God was going to cut them off. Yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about this as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is very clear that prophecies are going to come to an end. And that end was going to be in the first century when the perfect had come. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, tells us 
uh, that I can get it open here. First Corinthians 13 says in verse eight, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When we got the revealed word of God, that is everything that we need. We no longer need prophets to help us understand God's will because we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. God said in the Old Testament and the New Testament, those prophets would be done away with because there's no longer a need for them. Right. Yeah, Hebrews 1, verse 1 says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, verse 2 says, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. Uh, and so that that was the plan of God from the beginning. There was a need for the prophets. There was a need for, in the, in the New Testament, the apostles. And there was a need for inspired men to write down the will of God. But once the word of God is written down now, it's preserved for us to read what they wrote and use it. And, and so to your point, there's no need. We don't need uh, prophets, uh, inspired men are not needed today to pass along some new revelation. We've already got it. It's already been revealed. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't folks who are claiming to be prophets sure. today. There are folks who are claiming even today to be prophets. They're not true prophets right. because God said there wouldn't be prophets now. Right. Joseph Smith wasn't a true prophet. In fact, his actions and his writings remind me a lot of Jeremiah 23, verse 14. Also, I've seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom and me and are inhabitants like Gomorrah. Talk about adultery and walking in mm-hmm. lies. That was Joseph Smith to a T, right. a false prophet, no doubt. Yep. Uh, anyone who claims to be a prophet today is a false prophet, right. and uh, Joseph Smith was as well. Uh, Grant it references Jude 3 about uh, the uh, truth that was once delivered for the saints, uh, to the saints in Jude ch- verse 3, uh, that we were to earnestly contend for that faith. Once delivered, not going to be delivered in the first century and then delivered again in 1830. No, it was once delivered. Uh, so we have another proof there that we should not be looking for another book. Right. Yeah, and some of the versions they're talking in the chat room, some of the versions say once for all, uh, uh, once for all handed down to the saints. Yeah. Uh, the New American Standard. Right. Okay. Um, lots of comments here. Uh, my father's in the chat room. He says, Joseph Smith actually didn't make it to Utah. He was killed in a gunfight in Missouri, if I remember accurately. Brigham Young took the Mormons to Utah. Yeah. All right. Um, and uh, Dwight and Michelle says, I can't change my earthly father's will. What makes one think they can change the Lord's will? And um, George says, Smith was quite a scoundrel. None of the cities in the Book of Mormon actually existed ever. Archaeologists have never found one shred of evidence for any of them. Doesn't it say in Galatians that Paul said, if even if I or an angel from heaven were preaching to you any other gospel, let him be a curse? Joseph Smith said an angel from heaven gave him the plates, which contained a different gospel. Yeah, excellent. Lots of obvious uh, issues there and contradictions. Um, we need to be aware of that. Yeah, I believe, uh, I believe I've read uh, what Greg was talking about in Missouri, that Joseph Smith, a couple different times, God wants us to be in Missouri. And so they went there in you know, different cities, and they were ran off by the people in the town. And so you know, even, even when he was alive and the predictions and things he was making, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't add up. It didn't then, and, and it doesn't now. Yeah, that was a test of prophets in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 20, beginning, but the prophet, again, this, so you're saying Joseph Smith said God wants us here. Deuteronomy 18, verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presu- presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Right. Well, when they got to Missouri and Joseph yeah. Smith said, well, you know, I was wrong, they should have gone back home because right. they should have known right then that they were following a false prophet. Right. All right. Yeah. Hey, John, in, in 1 John 4 and verse 1 said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Uh, and it doesn't take very much trying or putting Joseph Smith and the things he said to the test to find out that they don't hold water. How do you try the spirits? Well, we hold them up to the standard. There you go. 
And so if the Book of Mormon does not align perfectly with the Bible, it is a false spirit, a false prophet. Right. All right. Lots of things to consider. Here's what Kent said in his email tonight. The case being that the Bible is the word of God. Upon completion of the New Testament, there has never been additional revelations given. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. The Book of Mormon, along with the Doctrines and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price, along with additional Latter-day Mormon revelations, constitute additional information in contradiction to the Word of God. Therefore, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and additional Latter-day Mormon revelations constitute false doctrine and must be rejected. A, the New Testament Church has... Okay, you had some other things we want to talk about here that they've argued. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Um, We'll get a break, get this week's bullet point. When we get back, Josh, where are we going next? Well, we can uh, do the second half of that question, too. The claim is that the church was all ruined by man and that Joseph Smith was going to set the Mormon church up. So briefly, we can just talk about how can we know that the church today, if we have the church today, of which God intended it to be. All right. We'll get those comments on the other side. And the phone line's open. Give us a call, 931-381-4567. We're back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Many stories are told about pioneer preacher Raccoon John Smith. He was a man of strong conviction and clever wit. One of the better-known incidents in his preaching work is related in this excerpt from a biographical sketch. Quote, noticing one day that a young Methodist preacher had sprinkled a howling infant, he afterwards seized him by the arm in full view of the Methodist gathering that was meeting on the banks of Slate Creek and powerfully pulled him toward the water. When the man questioned John of his intentions, Smith informed him that he was going to be baptized. The Methodist protested that he had no desire to be baptized. When the protest had been heard by the assembly, John stopped to make his point clear. Why had the baby been baptized against his will and before belief? A few laughed in admiration of John's witticism, but most were gravely touched by the seriousness of his argument. So, while this account may bring a chuckle, it also teaches us a vital point. Infant baptism is an erroneous practice brought on by a false doctrine. Infants do not need baptism, for they are sinless. Ezekiel 18, verse 20, Matthew 18, verse 3. Additionally, any baptism entered into without prior faith, Mark 16, 16, repentance, Acts 2, 38, and confession, Romans 10, 10, is of no effect to the saving of one's soul anyway. The example of devoted men like John Smith encourages us to be ready to use every opportunity to teach and defend God's truth. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about the Book of Mormons. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeu.com and check us out on YouTube. Kyle? Yeah, at College View Livestream. It's a lot of... Good resources on there, good studies coming out uh, every Wednesday. And, of course, we have our two uh, worship services, uh, the lessons on Sundays and the Bible class. So a lot of, a lot of good stuff on there. All right. Um, check it out, College View live stream. All right. Um, in the chat room tonight, uh, Tanner Adams is there. We talked with Tanner a few weeks ago. Appreciate you listening tonight, Tanner. Uh, Tanner says, uh, would you agree with 2 Nephi uh, chapter 25, uh, verse 23? And I believe that is the passage that says, um, yes, it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. He said, would you guys agree with that? I've heard a Church of Christ preacher say he agreed with that verse. Uh, I would not agree with that verse because it is not, uh, it is a, a, a modification of Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 8, that says we're saved by grace through faith. Um, and that is what we believe, that we're saved by grace through faith. We do believe that, uh, that, uh, that faith is an obedient faith, uh, but that faith is not earning our salvation or meriting our salvation. And uh, the book of Nephi is worded in such a way that it it uh, it looks like we're earning or meriting our right. salvation and grace is pushing us across the line. Right. 
Yeah, that that in spite of is obviously the the Book of Mormon isn't isn't from God, but the but the meaning there, as you said, was to add extra things in there, opposite of what Ephesians yeah. two says. Yeah. So uh, I hope that helps, uh, Tanner. If you have additional comments, you can uh, you can uh, let us. Uh, no, in the chat room there. All right, Brian in the chat room says, the Mormons misuse John 10, verse 16, in claiming Jesus was speaking of the Native Americans in the New World being recipients of Mormon evangelism. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 16. John 10, verse 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, they must also I must also bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. No, that's uh, not reading your Bible very carefully there, uh, Joseph Smith and, and others. Jesus is not talking about the Native Americans. He's talking about the Gentiles, and he talked about them repeatedly right. in his ministry that he was going to bring those who are not uh, of Abraham's descendants into uh, his flock, into the right relationship with God. He was going to make open make the kingdom available to all we read about that in uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, for many, for one, that all nations would come, all kings would come. So right. this is not talking about Native Americans, right. uh, is, is clear. All right. Tanner asked in the chat room, do you guys believe the church had to be restored? Well, let's get to that, because that's what they're yeah. claiming. Uh, as you mentioned before we went to the right. break, that the church had been corrupted, and Joseph needed to restore the church. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, in talking to these guys, I went to Acts chapter 2, right, on, on the day of Pentecost when Peter uh, preached that sermon. We, we believe that's when the church was established. All the things before that were pointing uh, to this direction, and all the things after that pointed back to the day of Pentecost. Peter preached the, the sermon to him, let them know that the person that they had killed was the Son of God, and uh, that was God's plan in order for Jesus to come and die. And then in verse uh, 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do about that situation that we've done? We've killed the Son of God. And he told them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and then in verse um, uh, 41, it said the same day, we added into them about 3,000 souls. And then in verse uh, 47, uh, as it continued on, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. We believe the church was established on the day of Pentecost and that those who obey the, the same plan that these people obeyed were added to the church by the Lord. And so uh, today we've, we've got all the instructions there. We, the church has been established. Jesus purchased it with his own blood. As long as we follow the same pattern and the same plan that they did, uh, the New Testament Christians did here in our Bible, we will be added. The Lord will add us to that church and then we have the whole the whole pattern and whole plan for the church to follow and so so you know in my discussion with these with these young men uh, these, that said they're mormon elders uh yeah man has done a done a, a wreaked a lot of havoc within the church and there's a lot of false teaching and a lot of false doctrines out there and there's been dom- denominations uh created that oppose uh, plain bible teaching but the new testament church is still in existence uh, and we just need to align ourselves with it and join a group that is following that pattern. Yeah, uh, the church, and Tanner uh, asked, he says, do you believe the church need to be restored uh, from apostasy? Well, there was a lot of apostasy going on. It wasn't a new thing. It was happened in the first century. Jesus, as he's writing to the churches of Asia in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent to do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So uh, they had fallen. They had gone off into uh, activities that they shouldn't. They needed to repent. And so there was a lot of wickedness and corruption in the wicked in the, in the religious world today. We believe the church had always existed from the first century but that folks needed to, that were in error, needed to repent and remember from where they had fallen. Remember right. what the pattern was. Get back to that first century pattern. Do what they were doing in the New Testament and operating and being organized the way that the first century church was operating and organized. And uh, and the, and that way, remember from where you've fallen. Right. Repent. Get back get in back the to way. That. Yeah. 
Yeah, in Acts 20 and verse 28, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my depart, departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own self shall men arise, speaking perverse things, and draw away disciples after them. So, so Paul uh, here uh, talking about the fact that there's going to be people arise, even among the brethren there, and they're going to start teaching things that are wrong and false, and they're going to draw people away. So, uh, yeah, there, there, are, there has been uh, falling away uh, over the years, and it continues to today. All right. So Tanner has an issue with that idea, that answer. And Tanner, Tanner, maybe you want to call in uh, 931-381-4567. might be the easiest way to discuss this. But he said, uh, he said, he said I don't believe that, that it had to be restored. Well, let me ask you this, Tanner. Let's say that there was a church that um, was all in error. Um, they, um, I don't know, what, what do we want to believe? Let's say that uh, this church was uh, started to follow the Book of Mormon. And they thought, well, you know, we think the Book of Mormon's right, and we need to, we need to have multiple wives. And someone came into that church and said, you know what? You've fallen. You need to be restored. You need to get back to where God wants you to be. There's nothing wrong with that. They should be doing that. Yeah. And we believe that we believe the church was always in existence from the first century. We believe there were people who were striving to follow what the, God had revealed in his word. But we believe that many groups and many folks had right. wandered away from that and they needed yeah. to be brought back. It happened in America in the mm-hmm. 1800s. There was a, a movement for that, but it wasn't isolated to America and it wasn't a new thing. Right. It was there were folks that are documented in history doing that in the 1800s in America, but that's something that's been going on as we mentioned from the first century. Jesus right. was telling churches, right. "Remember where you've fallen from yeah. and get back in line." Yeah. And that happens to be a, a, well, a lot of folks were doing that in that time, but it's not it wasn't new and it wasn't limited to America. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, you know, I guess I guess one of the issues is how do we get to that point? Do we need a new revelation in order to figure that out? And it's no, and I, and I think I think to to Greg's point, it's actually a no. The true church of our Lord uh, always existed. Jesus said it would always prevail. The gates of hell would not prevail against it. Matthew sixteen verse eighteen. So the question is, how do we get back? Well, we just look at what's already, the word that's already been revealed to us and do that. Yeah. that's how we get back right. to where we need to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Any time that you've fallen, any time you've wandered. Right. You need to be restored back right. to what God wants you to be. And so there were many groups, many folks who claimed to be Christians who had wandered, wandered mm-hmm. very far away, mm-hmm. and they needed to get back in line. All right. All right. How did it exist? We believe it existed <clears throat> as Christians mm-hmm. being doing the, the Lord's work, following the Lord's instructions in their lives. That's how it existed. Not in seed form. It existed in actuality. Uh, so that's our belief, Tanner. Uh, if you, again, if you'd like to talk, nine three one three eight one four five six seven. All right. Um, okay. How can we know today that? Okay. How do we know that the church is what it needs to be today? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think we know that again by just following the divine pattern that has been given to us. There's organization that's talked about, and we'll talk about that at the last question briefly. But there's an organization uh, how the church ought to be organized, how each group ought to be autonomous. Uh, and the work that the church has been given to do. Uh, and the work of the church is to teach the lost, to edify those that are saved, and then uh, there is benevolent need for caring for the needy saints. That's that's the work, the threefold work, maybe as it's been described as the, the work of the church. Now, a lot of, a lot of groups today have, have really turned the, the church into something it was never intended to be, uh, but that's what we have to do as outlined in, in the Bible. Now, uh, Tanner uh, references in the New Testament, or sorry, in his comments in the chat room, he says, uh, well, my dad responded to him and said, no, it existed in its fullness. Jesus did what he said he would do. He built his church. Tanner says, that's not what your founders say, Alexander Campbell. Alexander Campbell, Tanner, is not our founder. Jesus Christ is our founder. We don't, I don't have any documents written by Alexander Campbell. I don't read or study Alexander Campbell. I study the Bible, the New Testament, and I do what it says. And so my, our founder is Jesus Christ. Um, uh, here's what Kent says in his email. The New Testament church had, has been corrupted by false teaching and unauthorized practices. However, Joseph Smith and his work did not restore the church. His message is false and constitutes one of many corrupted sources 
that takes individuals away from God's revealed truth. One can know that the New Testament church today is, uh, is, um, is what it intended to be by following the New Testament pattern set forth in the scriptures. All right. Tanner says the Church of Christ always deny their church history. Very sad. That's not true, Tanner. Now, there are folks like Alexander Campbell who had a similar idea to others that we needed to go back and follow the Bible. But we don't follow what Alexander Campbell taught. We follow what the Bible teaches. And if you can show us from the scriptures where we're wrong on uh, our interpretation of the Bible, then that's fine. We have no allegiance to Alexander Campbell. He was not our founder. Again, we don't read or study Alexander Campbell. We study the Bible. Any more than Tanner, uh, you may study from some, some forefather of, of yours, some grandfather, great-grandfather who maybe believe the same way you do. You might, you might uh, believe the same things, but you don't. He's not your founder. Charles Spurgeon is not there. Yeah, he's not there. They don't have an idol of Spurgeon anywhere in their churches, I would assume. So it's yeah. yeah any church that's built on man, it will fail. Right. Yeah. So. Mm. Okay. All right. Let's get a break. We'll get back. Uh, we'll get some other comments. Hopefully, we'll get some calls at nine three one three eight one four five six seven. When we get back, we got to go fast. Two sticks in Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven. What are those all about? And uh, what about the church organization? What's wrong with the organization of the Mormon Church? We'll be back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. When you take away the ice cream socials, the family center, the gym, the fellowship hall, and the plays from your church, what do you have left? Is there anything of real spiritual substance? Is there anything that says this is all about God and not all about me? At the College View Church of Christ, we want to stay focused on the goal of serving God. We don't offer what most churches offer. But we do offer Jesus Christ and him crucified. If that's what you're looking for, come worship with us this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. at the College View Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A recent poll asked churches about their highest attended worship services throughout the year. 93% reported that Easter was highest, followed by Christmas and Mother's Day. That information is via gallup.com. The Word of God says in Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight, and we're looking at uh, the Mormon church, and we've had a little discussion here with Tanner. Appreciate Tanner for being out there and listening in the chat room tonight. Um, and uh, Tanner, or uh, sorry, Kevin, uh, let's see, uh, Kevin says, I affirm that church history has the founder as Jesus Christ as its root. And Dwight says, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He purchased the church with his blood. Um, all right. So um, let's, uh, well, we're chuckling at Brian's comments here about Brigham Young yeah. uh, for uh, producing some good quarterbacks. Uh, Joe Montana. Joe Montana. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, thank you for keeping it light for us, Brian. Um, what about uh, the two sticks? Let's get into that. We've got some comments here we're probably going to miss in the chat room, but... Uh, Go ahead. Two All sticks. Right. Uh, well, so what, what are we talking about with two sticks? Well, give me some explanation here. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure probably a bunch of our listeners have dealt with this argument before. I I had not, uh, so I, I was a bit caught off guard. Um, but in Ezekiel chapter 37, mm-hmm. uh, one of the fellows that I talked to said that the Bible doesn't name the Book of Mormon, but that it uh, there's a prophecy about the Book of Mormon. And I, I said, well, I'd like to read that. And so in Ezekiel 37... Uh, In verse 16, it says, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel and his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Uh, It goes on to say, And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. Uh, And so the explanation was given to me that the stick of Judah refers to the Bible and the stick of Ephraim refers to the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Uh, And... uh, so so my first question was, well, uh, I understand, I know somebody mentioned it earlier, that uh, the Mormon church uses at least three books, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. They believe they're all you know, inspired books. And so I said, well, if, th- if this is 
talking about some Book of Mormon documents, wouldn't there have to be four sticks here instead of instead no. of just two? Uh, he said, "Well, no, it, you know, it's just just the Book of Mormon and the Bible." But uh, reading the context here, it's talking about two it's not about books at yeah, all. It, yeah, it's talking about two nations of people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in verse seventeen, it says, "Join them one uh, to another into one stick, bringing those those two uh, nations of people uh, into one." Yeah. Uh, not two books, uh, but two nations of people. Yeah. All right. And it specifically talks about the Israelite people there. Right. Judah and Ephraim. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and verse uh, 22 says, I'll make them into one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. One king shall be king to them all, and they shall be uh, no more two nations. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. So in the context itself, uh, it, it says that it's talking about nations, making them into one kingdom and one king ruling over that nation. All right. Uh, Kent says Mormonism falsely affirms that Ezekiel 37 argues that the two sticks are representative of the Bible and the Book of Mormon. They falsely claim that Ezekiel 37, 16 and 17 was speaking with reference to parchment scrolls on rolls on sticks. They conclude that one stick represents Judah for the sons of Israel and the other stick for the house of Joseph of, for America coming through the what the Mormons argue as being the 10 lost tribes of Israel. There's nothing in the scriptures about such a group. Neither is there anything about ten lost tribes migrating to America. As a matter of fact, many of those supposedly lost tribes maintained their identity. In Luke 2, verse 36, Anna was from the tribe of Asher, which was supposed to be one of the lost tribes. Paul, in Acts 26, verse 7, speaks of the twelve tribes. And noting the context of Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel held two sticks representing Judah, the southern kingdom, and Ephraim, the northern kingdom. The prophet joined the two sticks end to end, making one stick, being fulfilled when God allowed his people to return home from captivity under Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, as promised in Ezekiel 37, 21, and 22. What the Mormons teach violates the context of Ezekiel 37. In addition to an additional problem, the context would necessitate that Ezekiel would have had to be the author of the Book of Mormon, which is an absurdity. Also consider this additional point. The Book of Mormon was translated from golden plates, not a scroll on a stick. Right. Lots of right, issues. That's true. I didn't even think about that, but that yeah. is true. All right. Good points. All right. Um, let's go. we got eight more minutes. So yeah. there's some problems with the organization of the Mormons church. Yeah. So uh, the organization of the Mormon church is not what we find taught in the Bible. They actually have uh, uh, the first presidency, apostles, evangelists, high priests, 70s. They have... Uh, uh, presiding bishops, elders, priests, teachers, deacons, and the Aaronic priesthood. Uh, I spent some time talking uh, with these uh, young men that I talked to about the, the priesthood, and and you know just we spent quite a bit of time just trying to get the understanding that we're not under the old law anymore. You know the Levitical priesthood uh, is not in effect today, and those type of discussions. But uh, but really for this question, just got two uh, offices. You know rather than attack the whole thing, I asked these young guys, I asked them how old they were, Jacob and these young men that called themselves Mormon elders. Uh, one was 19, and one was 22, uh, young men. And so I asked them before we, before I asked what their title was, I asked how long had both of them been married, you know, how long have they been married to their wives? And they both said that they were single, and I thought that was interesting. And so I said, uh, do you guys realize that you don't even meet the qualifications of a Bible elder? And they said, we didn't even know there was qualifications. And I thought that was so interesting. Uh, in in First Timothy, uh, I've been talking and not, not turning. First Timothy chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 2, says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, uh, it goes on, verse 4, says, One that ruleth, his own, uh, ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Uh, so one of the qualifications of a, a biblical qualification for an elder would to be uh, you have to have a wife, husband of one wife, and you have to have children uh, and have demonstrated that you rule your own house well. That's true. Uh, and so, so for young men that are unmarried uh, to hold an office uh, of an elder, it there's a, a contradiction there, and these guys had never even heard about that and didn't even know there was any such thing as a qualification until I uh, took them to this passage and pointed it out to them. All right. Um, 
So uh, Dwight and Michelle say not a novice. Kevin Kelly says, I have great difficulty with Mormon misuse of the Office of Elders. It's clearly defined, Kevin says. Thank you for those comments. Uh, Kent, or in his email, says, Mormonism calls for a type of church organization that is organized in a universal structure. Ever seen the temple and or the tabernacle yeah. in Salt Lake City? That's their central organization there. The New Testament does not authorize the church being organized in such fashion. While the New Testament church does exist universally, it has no universal organization nor collective function. The universal extension of the church exists as a saved relationship of individuals who have obeyed the gospel with Christ as head and no other elements of organization, Ephesians 5, verse 23. Only the local extension of the church exists with human elements of organization comprised with elders and deacons, Philippians 1, verse 1. The New Testament gives the qualifications that must be followed for men to serve in such capacity, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Mormons have a different arrangement in their unauthorized universal structure with a president, apostles, prophets, bishops, council, and elders. Their elders do not even claim to meet the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Any individual who can see through a barrel with both ends knocked out should be able to see the difference between uh, of New Testament teachings regarding the organization of the New Testament church and the false doctrine of Mormonism. Well, I'm not yeah, sure exactly yeah, where Kent stands like, on that, like, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, uh, you know, one of the things in, uh, that an elder is supposed to do, you know, First Peter 5, verses 1 and 2, uh, it talks about the elders that are, which are among you. And verse 2 says, feed the flock of God which is among you. Elders are taking the oversight of the, the flock that is among them. Well, these young men that are given the title Mormon elders, they travel around. They're not, there's no flock among them. And, if, and Jacob, I know you and I talked a couple of weeks ago about, about this. If there's, if there's any kind of uh, situation where their faith may be shaken, they're moved and sent to a, another location. They're, so obviously just another way that they are not uh, fulfilling the biblical qualification or, or the organization of that role of an elder. Yeah. Um, uh, my dad in the chat room says, a woman friend of ours asked two young elders, how are the wife and kids? They responded, you must be a member of the Church of Christ, and they left. So they didn't like that. All right. Um, all right. Um, yeah, it is important. You know, yeah. if Christ died to establish the church, then it needs to be structured right. and organized yeah. the way that he intended it to be. And, again, we get that not by listening to Alexander Campbell uh we get to that from looking at what the scriptures teach. Yeah. Yeah. And another office that we've got mentioned here, uh, the last thing is that of a deacon. Uh, there's qualifications listed there as well. Again, must be married, must have uh, children. Yeah. Uh, and so I read, and I, I did not know this, but I read that uh, there's Mormon deacons that are appointed as young as age 12. Mm. Uh which is which is interesting. It's almost, and I'm and I'm not sure what the role in ta- entails, or if it's just sort of an honorary type position. But uh, we know that uh, the New Testament work for a deacon is that of, you know, it, it's not an honorary position where you've got a title and you know you sit back. It's it's a role of service, and and you're put to work, and that's what uh, that that role is supposed to do. Here at College View, we have we have several deacons that have been appointed, and they have roles, and they're they're busy, uh, and they're working to to help the church here function the way it ought to. Uh, and again, obviously they're not the Mormon, what they would refer to as deacons is not fulfilling that role, nor could they, they don't meet the qualifications. All right. Well, lots of issues and, uh, we've scratched just the surface here tonight, Josh, but, um, enough to know that this is not, uh, a true gospel of Christ. It is not something that needs to be followed. It needs to be marked as false. Right. Yeah. Jacob, I told, I told the two uh, young men that I talked to said guys we we have talked about several things here that are contradictory and and you know please be honest with yourself and uh you know you know we love you uh we want you to to be saved but we need to do that according to the bible and and the book of mormon just just doesn't add up and line up with the bible yeah all right uh and as such we need to avoid it we need to be prepared uh Josh, when someone approaches us with the Book of Mormon, we ought to be prepared with some of these arguments in our back pocket so we know uh, that we can have a good discussion. That's right. Kyle, comments from you on the other side of the board tonight? No, it's a good study. I think we had to be prepared for, you know, these visits uh, with, uh, of course, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses that uh, 
don't come around much anymore to my place anyway. Uh, so, yeah, we just got to be prepared and uh, have a discussion, a lengthy discussion, because if we know what they believe and we know what the Bible says, we can have a fruitful discussion because you won't get much time. You may not get much time at all. One conversation or two conversations, and they'll just completely cut off. So, yeah, it's good. Cal, thanks for being here. Help us get it out tonight. Yeah. And Josh, thank you for your time tonight. Yeah. Enjoyed being being with you. Uh, Thank you for being on the other end of the line tonight. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.